Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, a podcast for readers who want something strange and exciting and writers who need something new. If you want to support this podcast, please consider buying my new book, The National Gallery. I'm extremely proud of this book because it may be my best book and it is certainly my most personal and heartfelt book. But just because I say it's heartfelt doesn't mean it isn't full of weirdness, like sonnets about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and elegies for my dead iPhone. Uh, For a limited time, if you buy a copy of the National Gallery directly from me, I will sign it, and I will also send you a signed copy of my previous book, The Politics of Knives, for no additional cost. So you can order the book and get your free book uh, with it at thenationalgallery.ca. That's thenationalgallery.ca. I'm also excited because it is my 10-year anniversary as an author. My first book, Ex Machina, was published in October 2009, and to celebrate, uh, now that it is 2019, as I record this, I've made Ex Machina available as an ebook for the first time. It was never available as an ebook previously, uh, and I'm giving that ebook away for free at jonathanball.com/freebook. So, uh, go to jonathanball.com/freebook, and you can sign up. Uh, get all my ex- exciting news uh, when it's you know exciting and new, uh, and other free resources that I'll just you know send you as I create them, uh, plus a free book. Um, and again, you can go to the nationalgallery.ca uh, if you want to find out more about my new book uh, and get a free uh, book as well when you order that. So three, two free books and a paid book <laughs> available to you. In any case. Um, Let's get into the show. I'm here uh, at Coach House Books, uh, my wonderful publisher, and uh, you know, wonderful for many reasons. But one is because uh, they also publish you know great books by great authors like Gail Scott, uh, who's here with me today. Uh, so I just want to thank you know you, Gail, for talking to me. And uh, Gail's newest book uh, is. Actually, her old one of her oldest books, um, <laughs> the classic uh, heroine, which is originally published in 1987, uh, and is just coming out again uh, in a new edition with uh, forward by Eileen Miles. And how, how does it feel to have um, soap with your name on it? <laughs> you know, they, you know, Coach House has got this you know great bar of soap they gave me when I you know got my copy yesterday. Um, uh, did you like that's kind of a jokey question but like the, the kind of more serious question there is you know when when you were putting this book out in you know 87 like did you ever imagine um its reception and like that you'd you know be doing another edition like this you know oh, I many mean, years it, later it's it's had uh, i was totally astounded at the reception actually it had about seven printings wow and um, then Coach House, uh, some of them were at Coach House and some at Talon. I think Coach House folded and then it went to Talon and then Coach House opened again. And after a while I thought, hmm, I'd like to have it at Coach House. Mm. <laughs> um, the soap is funny because when uh, James first told me about it, I thought, I guess that could work. And I was in Paris at the time and a friend of mine who runs a bookstore there said, yeah, but she's not washing in the bathtub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if you're listening and you don't know what the soap thing is about, like heroin, the the story is being told by this uh, character in who's you know in a bathtub for you know telling, kind of doing this, uh, telling us a story, and which is relatively stream of consciousness. And, you know, well, she's trying to get off in the, in yeah. the bathtub. Yes. <laughs> 
but uh, so she's not really using the soap, but like no, you know, so, no. But, like it's got that. Yeah, that's the sort of the promotional like item tie-in. <laughs> it was this bar of soap you could take into the bath with you, as you know, read heroin <laughs> and, and whatever else you want to do. But you know, actually, when I saw it, uh, uh, people were. Loving the loving the little matchbox. It's a little matchbox with a picture of the heroine cover on it and, mm-hmm. and uh, the soap inside. And people were completely delighted with it. So I can guess it's a good idea. Can you talk a little bit about like when you were actually originally writing this book? Then mm-hmm. you know, and kind of maybe what that process was like. You know, when you were putting this, when you first like, when, when did you first get the idea to? to write this book because you'd already had a book out or you know or, or like you, this isn't the first thing you'd done you no, know, right? you know no, uh, I had it, a collection it, of short stories called Spare Parts first yeah yeah and then you <clears throat> when did you really start on this book and what was the kind of process of writing it uh, well, at the time hmm, you're asking me to go back away but um, well first of all I was a journalist in Quebec and I worked for several major newspapers covering art and politics. And I tended to get sent out to the French um, events because I could speak French, which wasn't that widespread in the English community in those days. And things were rapidly politicizing and getting really pretty wild in Quebec. And along with that, of course, the art world was waking up to trying new things and so on. So I did spare, first of all, I did spare parts as a kind of reaction against journalism in a way. Um, I, I wanted to get away from the actual just recounting and, and sort of try and use language like poets do in a bit, you know, with the, all of the tone, tonalities. And then um, as I started, I, then I was involved in the left and... Uh, I started exploring all these things like uh, André Breton and Leon Trotsky's relationship, and uh, uh, just the whole. The, just started thinking really hard about the relationship between art and politics, or as I probably called it a little um, obsequiously in those days, uh, art and revolution. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, I got involved with a group of. Francophone women writers who were just really ready to change everything, and the most known one is Nicole Rossard, but several other wonderful writers. And what we were doing was basically um, just trying to find new forms to really express uh, what we had to say. And for me, that was in a direct uh, trajectory from journalism, where I always felt like. Uh, I, I always felt restricted. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you know, so many writers who work as journalists, um, you know, of which there are many. Like they, their their journalists approach often informs their writing. Whereas you know, Hemingway being the most famous example, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, whereas you seem to have gone in the absolute opposite direction, which is interesting to me. You know, uh, of almost here's all the things I can't do in, in journalism, and let's just double down on that approach. Well, that's a, for me, that's a political issue, because when you work for a major newspaper, um, uh, let's face it, there are interests at stake, you know, um, it's very hard. For instance, when I was working at the Montreal Gazette at the time of the October crisis. Mm-hmm. That was another really politicizing uh, moment for me. I was working at the Gazette, and um, 
there were words that I, I just knew I couldn't use, like class, working class, you know. Uh, once I was asked to go out and do a story for the, they had a Christmas basket section, <laughs> you know, where you, where you um, wrote a story about how hard done people were and how they couldn't afford to buy stuff for Christmas and therefore the Christmas Christmas basket would appear. So I said it in a factory with a woman working in a factory. <laughs> hmm. Talked about the work conditions instead. And stuff like that, but it wasn't appreciated, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't go over well at all. <laughs> so. Well, what was that time? So when the October crisis is happening, like what you say, like that was at a moment where you, you know, really kind of uh, politicized you in a bit more. Like what was it about that moment that kind of grabbed your attention and, and turned it? Well, lots of things. Um, first of all, you know, living in Montreal, those people don't realize now because Montreal is, you know, the economy is just so much better. And it's also somewhat more uh, better distributed as well. But in those days, anything east of the main pretty well, St. Lawrence Boulevard, was really gritty. I mean, there are, when I looked at Heroin to publish it again, I, I was surprised at how gritty it was. And yet I know I didn't exaggerate anything, mm. you know. I mean, tons of people were making their living in, in any way they could, basically, you know. And um, uh, there, I understood very early on that there was a problem with the way Anglophone uh, inst Anglophone institutions saw Francophone people and culture. And I was, for some reason, uh, probably because I grew up with Francophone kids, really offended by it. So it was really easy for me to be sympathetic with the ideas behind what happened when the October crisis started. And, and I mean, there were tons and tons of people who felt like I did. You know, they wouldn't go out and do those things themselves, those really um, explosive things themselves. But they were certainly understood the uh, the impetus uh, behind it. And, and for a lot of us, that meant trying various forms of political organization. And then, so then, when you start writing the the book, uh, where did that initial uh, concept of to have uh, the character in the bathtub, uh, you know, narrating in in this fragmentary fashion, like where did that sort of voice come from? Because what really interests me in general uh, with fiction is narrative voice, and particularly these these unusual narrative voices. So what I like about I, I'm also sitting here looking at your book, the obituary, the more recent uh, novel, um, also from Coach House, really excellent book, which has you know all sort a very experimental structure as well you've got these differing narrators one of which is a fly you know uh literal fly on the wall yeah. you know uh one of which is this sort of i slash r uh, you know this rosine character yeah. and you've got other fi figures that you know seem to be ghosts um you've got this very kind of um i don't know you've got this very interesting approach to narrative voice and these kind of intriguing unconventional narration uh, that style that you use uh, so I'm really interested in like just how you kind of you talked a little bit about how you were kind of drawn to it in, in the sense of here's all the, the freedoms that maybe the journalistic style doesn't afford you but I want, where did you get the idea of marrying that style to this sort of actual you know story in the bathtub concept. Of yeah. So um, where did I get it? I mean... Do you remember, like, the origins of that when you started... The origins of actually writing heroin, in that sense? I, 
I don't remember exactly how she got to be in the bathtub. I know that I wanted to um, have her located in in a gritty part of Montreal and in, in what they call their called there in those days anyway, even in French tourist rooms, which were sort of like really cheap bed and breakfast, I suppose, or not even breakfast, just bed, basically. Bed and bathtubs. <laughs> bed and bathtub. Yeah. And it seemed like a good place to put her to tell the story because I wanted to bring her friend lover Marie into it and I wanted her, you know, I the bathtub was by a, a sort of dirty old window and so she could talk about what was going by outside. But um, also... It was the beginning of a trajectory towards really breaking down the narrative voice, which for me is, is also a very political issue. I mean, it happens in poetry, and people don't think anything of it, but it doesn't happen in, in prose, and we're always expected to have that kind of story where something happens and it comes out one way or the other, good yeah. or bad. And I just feel that that's not the way we think, and it's also not the way we're going to change anything. So um, I, I just decided that I was going to change the narrative structure. Actually, she's in the bath, but um, the story goes around and swirls around her, kind of, mm-hmm. while well, well, she's in the bath. So there are various love affairs and various political demonstrations and hanging out in cafes and stuff, but it, it all goes around. And she's, she's kind of not a real narrator. Her name is Gail. Mm-hmm. She's a failed revolutionary. She... Uh, is pretty good at the political aspect of it, but she's a complete failure with what the personal life was a revolutionary was supposed to be, which was polyamorous, which was possibly gay. Um, she she couldn't pull any of that off. And so the whole story, that's another reason I guess she's in the bathtub. The whole story is her kind of thinking about her her sex life and how she can get it together and how that relates, in fact, to her... Um, writing a novel, because after yeah. all, it's all writing's about desire, right? And how, do you remember, like, the your writing process in this? And I'm curious, like, also to know, like, between, like, say, Heroin and The Obituary, you know, just looking at these two books yeah. that are, you know, uh, what, 23 years apart, if I am, if I okay. recall correctly? <laughs> Maybe longer, actually. Uh, no, 87, 87 and 210. I can't do math. So yeah, no, <laughs> 2010 it's 23, minus 1987. So 20, okay, 23 wow. years apart. Yeah. So do you remember, how was your, did your writing process change at all, or did it change between yeah, these Yeah, well, books? I mean, like, there was a whole trajectory away from 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 narrative, basically, or from a straight uh, forward narrative. So more and more, I mean, this is the beginning we talked a lot in the in the women's movement about uh, things like uh, how narrative was a you know I don't necessarily hold with this anymore but how narrative was a kind of male concept and uh, the whole idea of of uh, of a story that kind of rises up to a yeah. crescendo and then falls is a very guy way of thinking about sex and desire and we were. We were going to do it differently, and that's one of the reasons I kind of invented this the spiral. It's your very formed, I guess, by the Sisu and you know, the kind of so, yeah, Sisu and um, Irregaré was really big in those days. Mm. She had plenty to say about about stuff like that. And then, I, I mean, heroin is a really narrative novel as far as my novels go. The next one was um, 
Main Brides, mm. and it's set in a bar on the main, and it's actually an installation, so there's somebody in, in a bar, a woman, mm. drinking, 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 and telling stories about other women who come in, but you can never really tell if the story's about the woman who's getting a lot of drinks or whether it's about uh, the women who, who, who come into the bar. And then uh, my Paris, um, I decided to break down the... Uh, I, I started to play with syntax and grammar in a way of breaking down the speaking subject. So um, I, I, used, I, I used the uh, present participle instead of the active verb, um, which actually has the effect of reducing the person who's speaking to something very small. So it's kind of like these little... Gerund, gerund phrases, or I forget what what's the proper name. I think it's that gerund. I think. Yeah, so, yeah. and um, she's walking through Paris. She's reading uh, the Arcades Project by Benjamin, mm. and so she's picking up all these little details. But it's sort of like uh, techno music was big at the time, and she was sort of mm. absorbing the city as a very neutral kind of figure full of very porous kind of figure because she's she she's not active in the sense of having verbs and plans and, and going forward, but she's more... And present participle for me goes kind of back and forth and hesitates, you know, in a way. What about when you get to obituary? And when I get to the obituary, I decided that I was... If I wanted to continue my permanent revolution of the novel, which is my plan... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's the, the master plan. <laughs> that's that's the name of my coming book of yeah. essays, maybe. Um, well, if I was going to uh, that, more and more it seemed to me like you had to break down the relationship between the uh, author and the uh, narrator, or the, the so the writing subject mm-hmm. kind of explodes in this book, and and so the figure called Rosine is actually three different mm-hmm. shards. She's the the woman on the bed. She's the fly, and the fly's a mask is is a male. He's a horny guy, but that's her animus, you know. And then she's also the politically correct lesbian historian in the basement who keeps trying to impose a historical uh, omniscient narrative, almost. Yeah. Yeah. So that's long and involved. (laughs) It's got a really um, well. Just to kind of jump to obituary for a little bit, like. where did that uh, idea of fragmenting into three uh, come from? And, and what about and having one of them being this fly? What I love about the fly on the wall, I, I, what I like a lot in your books is you have, off, as you say this, you, you, you often play with that um, division or distinction and kind of collapsing it or, or, or troubling the boundary between, say, the narrator and the author, which I think is... I, you know, a lot of people do it badly, and you know, some people do it very well. You know, I think you you do it very well in really interesting ways, and um, where I think uh, where I, what I like about, and I think you also get like weird, interesting meta fictional aspects in there, and also weird meta jokes at times. Like, so to me, the fly on the wall is a really clever, weird. Um, uh, 
it, it, to me it reads, I don't know if you're intending it this way, but to me it reads like this weird joke about like Hemingway-esque fly on the wall narration. <laughs> and like it's the reverse of that, but it's coming from a literal fly on the wall, yeah. you know, which is, it, it's such a fascinating little, to me it's like this weird nested series of like meta jokes in an, it, it, but, it, but it in is a very sure. engaging approach. Right. I didn't think of Hemingway at all when I, when I was, yeah. uh, when I was doing it, I was thinking more of, um, well, I mean, the obituary is also a novel about surveillance. There are mm-hmm. two cops in the stairwell of the flat that the the woman on the bed uh, is either passed out or dead in, and the fly um, the fly is 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 allies with the with the voyeurs who are the cops. So there's an old French cop who's a ghost. He's from like the early 20th century. And he's there looking through Rosine's keyhole because he was in love with Rosine's grandfather, who was a, a part indigenous, like some of the people in my family, a tap dancer. <laughs> that was my godfather, not my grandfather. <laughs> anyway, a tap dancer who... Uh, who the gendarme fell in love with when when the tap dancer came to Paris. Of course, the grandfather wasn't at all interested, but he's been the ghost of the Paris cop was following him ever since. And there's also a student cop, a Quebecois guy, who's trying to hack a a computer. Then did you pick a fly because of the the aspect of surveillance and all the eyes, like the fragments. Yeah, partly. Or, or were yeah. you also thinking of the fact that, you know, maybe this is a corpse and there's a, it's attracted to fly. Both, both. Yeah. I mean, he talks about how he has a hundred or a thousand, I can't remember how many eyes a fly has. I but think a thousand you say. Yeah. I don't know yeah. offhand, but yeah. I remember uh, right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's part of this. I mean, the fly has a kind of double loyalty because he's also Rosine, you know, mm-hmm. so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's very curious. I mean, just to go to like a more practical side of things, like so when you're actually like sitting down and writing these books, like what was the actual physical process of like writing the books like <laughs> yeah. from heroin to obituary? Like what's the difference? Like how long does it take you to write heroin, for example? Like what's it your actual me, writing it process? It actually took me about, I'm a slow writer because yeah. I, I spend a lot of time unpacking language. I take zillions of notes. I I spend a lot of time in cafes listening. For me, the street um, cadences are really important in terms of how I deal with language. Mm. Um, so I started, you know, you're asking me if it was some kind of plan from the beginning. It's yeah. more It's more like writing a poem, you know. You just keep writing until... It's like peeling the skin off an onion, the layers off an onion. You just keep writing until... Uh, you know you've you've got it. So what's more important for me is my my motivation for doing the work. Then actually the processes tend to be really? kind of different. Although uh, you know by the time I got to the obituary, I was working a lot more with with the computer just because um, all that digital information is available. And mm-hmm. so now, I mean now for my current work, I borrow language all the time, all the time, and and. Uh, so it's very much about having this impetus to do a project. Then you're you're sort of seeing what the project is as you're going well, yeah, to well, maybe, some degree. Maybe a better way of explaining it. I thank you for your questions. They're, they're penetrating questions. <laughs> um, I think a better way of uh, explaining it maybe is that I'm always very... In- when I write whatever project I'm working on, I'm very interested in the conjunctural 
or the punctual aspect of it, the now of it. So I try to adopt the tone and the style and the especially the preoccupations of the work and especially the politics of the moment and my response to those politics in actually in the language itself. So I'm constantly trying to find the kind of sentence, the kind of sound, the kind of tone, the kind of movement that relates this exact moment, this exact conjuncture or intersectionality, whatever you want, when all these things uh, come together. And as long as I don't have the tone, and that's one of the reasons it takes me a long time. I mean, you know, what, 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 what does the Trump era sound like, for example? Well, how do you, here's the tension that's interesting to me in that whole approach is like, how, how do you balance trying to capture that kind of nowness yeah. with when you're, when you're taking a long time, yeah. you know, and, and it is a project that's expanding you know, over yeah. a long period, like how do you not lose that, um, that moment in that manner? Like what, what's, how do you, how do you manage that? Well, first of all, you know, I mean, Time, social and political and even artistic time, is pretty cyclical, you know. Mm. It doesn't last a moment. It lasts a few years. I mean, a few years ago, we had the conceptualist movement, which was totally dominant for, or tried mm -hmm. to be for, you know. Or you have other uh, moments like that. I mean, when I wrote Heroin, it was... It was uh, the conjuncture between the struggle for the survival and the enhancement of French language and also for uncovering um, uh, ways of speaking that would better express female, whatever, femininity, however you want to, we called it écriture féminin, mm -hmm. you know, like writing in the feminine. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, it's a it's a period just the same. It's not like a moment, but I mean, you have to listen to the moment very carefully in order to get that, in order to bring it all together. I mean, that for me, the bigger question is how once I've done that, which is in some ways it seems to me like how you're a poet, but it seems to me like poets work a bit like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're very clue. But it doesn't take you two years to write Well, I know, but I mean, then I have <laughs> right? to, like, then I, well, yeah, but I mean, a poem's like how many pages could be. That's but, what I mean. I mean. No, but then I have to go back and do the work of, without spoiling that, without messing it up, how can I make it into a serial or a series or a shape or a composition? For me, mm. uh, the, uh, the obituary is very much a composition, you know? Um Main Brides is a serial. Well, actually, C.A. Conrad says that the obituary is a, com a serial, too. Maybe all my books are serials. And it's interesting, ways. though, to think of it like, you know, this series of, you know, capturing these moments. Yeah, yeah. So over a sustained period, you know, you're yeah. sort of maybe you're, you're kind of diving in and out and doing cross-sections yeah. in, in a manner of fashion. You know, I mean, maybe it's easier for me to talk right now because I've been in it for the last several years. I'm, I'm writing a memoir about uh, the... Lower Manhattan poetry scene. That is the poets that I like, who are mostly grouped mm -hmm. around the poetry Saint Mark's Pro poetry project and Belladonna, and um, in the early o Obama years. So for me, uh, the 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 issues for me in that particular book are one. I'm a, a Canadian. I call her a Northern, who comes to New York, and feels uh, and is very left wing. So is therefore 
quite judgmental of all the Democrat uh, yeah. politics. But how does she separate that out from sign, kind of maybe a knee-jerk racism about Obama? And how does she understand um. what... Obama means to African American people, mm. so there's so, so so that's one tension that's going on, and then another tension is how 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 do you write poems about that, and how are her friends who are writing poetry, how are they uh, dealing with those things, and often it's very quite you know re, uh, somewhat removed anyway from it's not about it's not as direct as say writing prose. Well, it's interesting just even the way you talk about it, where you're, you know, you know, it's a memoir, and you know, she, you know, so you're now you're switching to yourself in the third person. But oh it, yeah, but I, it, but yeah, it, she, it, she's in, in, she's a she, she's, she's a northern, yeah. <laughs> but it's, is, I guess, like, is that part of wrapping your head around the project? It's like sort of separating yourself off, like finding your place inside of it, but also kind of dissociating to a certain degree. Like, how do you? It's part of trying to. Uh, once a long time ago, somebody said to me, um, a visual artist said to me, you have to take yourself as typical of your generation. Hmm. And uh, I, I mean, I would add at this point, I suppose, more of my moment, since my de- generation is sort of a lot, pretty well locked in, you know. Um, so um, I, that's one of the things that I, so, so for me, I call, I mean, she's Gail in Heroin. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's not. She's Rosine. Yeah, Rosine. And, and then um, she's also Gail in this memoir, which is called Furniture Music. Why is it called okay. Furniture it's Music? Because yeah, I love. I think it's good. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, it, it's it's about kind of traveling with your baggage, basically, and mm. and being very. Um, you're basically background music, you know. Mm. Um, so um, and and maybe poetry is too in this world. Who knows? I mean, I hope mm. not, but. Because for me, poetry is the gold standard in a way, you know. And I yeah. and I keep trying to say, okay, but we can do those things in prose too. You just have to work harder at the language. Do you see yourself as a as a prose poet? No. No. Why I don't. Not? I like. I don't like that term. Yeah. I don't. Why? Li- I, um, why don't I like it? I don't like it either. I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I don't. I, it just I get called a prose poet all the time. Oh, do you? Like this new book is. I specifically didn't write much prose poetry in it because I was like, I'm sick of people calling me a prose poet. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I mean, people call me a prose poet too sometimes in a funny kind of way. I like it. Fred Wass says I'm a poet, which I love Fred for that. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I just feel that the kind of work I do. Um, is novelesque in the sense that there's an attempt to work things out. And Baudelaire was a great prose poet, but mm-hmm. do we need the same thing today, you know? Jane Austen was a great novelist. Do we need to do Jane... Do we need to do these things over and over and over again in the same way? Well, I see you as, like, you know, uh, a novelist also in the sense that uh, Lawrence Stern and Tristram Shandy talks yeah. about the novel being primarily digressions yeah. <laughs> you know like a novel is is yeah. digressions are the heart of the novel i think is the way he puts it and i, yeah. I feel like you know not i don't i feel like not enough uh modern novels are kind of structured through digressiveness in that manner and what i like about a book like heroin for example uh, is it has this very simple clear core you know thing that's happening and then inside of that uh 
you're just digressing and coming back. Yeah. And as you say, you're like kind of circling in a whirlpool-like yeah. manner. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Montreal was so great to do that in at the time because it, everything was so intense. The street life was so intense. Yeah. The what was it like just to be there in Montreal when Nicole Broussard is coming up? And, you know, and like, what was that whole scene like? Well, I mean, Nicole was one of many, you know, she's, mm-hmm. she's wonderful, but she's one of many. What I mean is like, you got, you know, when you've got like, oh, that, that, it, like you had a very hot, It was so stimulating. It was yeah. just so stimulating. I mean, heroin really comes out of total sort of energy that circulated at, at that time. Uh, every day something was happening, something political, something, uh, some kind of crazy gangster thing or or some, you know, the Brinks trucks driving to Toronto with all the money from the banks and, mm. and it, when the October crisis was going on. Um, the the uh, Les Nuits de la Poésie where people were... Um, you know, reading poetry all night, allegedly to celebrate the French language, but also in, in resistance against mm-hmm. the the whole situation that was uh, that was going on then. And I mean, wherever you stood vis-a-vis those things, you couldn't not pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. Another thing that was really important for me when I was writing heroin was not. I I, I, I think when you're writing about a place where the language and culture aren't entirely yours and um, like uh, people, uh, there's a tendency to exoticize it like crazy Mm. and it was really important for me and still is when I write to write in a way that people from all of the different cultures I'm involved in um, will not find shameful and and cheap, you know. So when I was writing heroin, I didn't want to exoticize those moments. I wanted them to be um, to be seen both from a francophone side and from an anglophone side as actually as close to what could, one could say the ambience at the time was, you know. It's a tall order, but I, I, that was my goal. Um, I, I'm curious to you know just I'm just just how like uh, you were thinking maybe through the the idea of sharing space. You know, you know we've got this character in the bathtub. You know, in this very enclosed place and because I have another enclosure of the apartment. But then looking out the window and you know uh, thinking t- you know uh, about these moments and other and the, and the book opens with a guard sort of hustling a. Um, a, a tourist, black tourist, yeah. you know, yeah. out of this space. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, like, it seems like part of what the whole October crisis revolved around was that issue of, you know, these different groups, you know, trying to share a space and it not, and, and they, these power dynamics, you know, coming into play. And it seems like you, you kind of reflected a lot of that concern around, um, I don't know what the good term would be, maybe spatiality or whatever, whatever term you... Uh, you might use in terms of like figuring out like what is the how, how can a person like in this case a woman like have a space in, in this oh that's weird a really, maelstrom yeah <laughs> ruined maelstrom yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> that's uh, yeah that's certainly one of the uh, one of the issues because I mean she's she is or has been in a revolutionary organization where there's no space you know really i mean her morals have been observed all the time you know was she cool enough when 
her man was with somebody else, uh, whatever, yeah. you know. And um, But also just a sharing of politics and of ideas about politics, a lot of really great uh, stuff. But she can't live in that space, really. And the, the bathtub's, I guess, a retreat in a way at the same time that she's carving out a, a space with a group of women for herself where she feels safer but it's clear that it's not the be all and end all yeah well, it's interesting play the bathtub is interesting because it's this as you say it's like a place you know it's like a private place to retreat into but it's also a vulnerable position yeah. and a vulnerable space yeah. in that respect as well yeah it it, it it there are a lot of things going on there because it it's warm <laughs> the water's warm you know it's snowing all the time outside um but it's true she's lying there and she's naked and people are knocking on the door and you can mm. hear people from other apartments and so or other rooms and so on and some of them are quite crazy and uh, yeah it, it, but th- that that space is probably the kind of internal kernel of the novel around which all of these other events which she also participates see, see that's the thing that's what, what makes mm. my narrators different than a lot of narrators you know she's not a person who is completely uh, delineated by her whatever whatever topography she's in now. She's also, she's kind of like... She's very, I don't know what to uh, All these veins are going out to all, the, mm-hmm. all these other things that she is involved in or wants to be involved in or people she loves or hates or <laughs> wants to kill she's very, I don't know what it would be about it. She's, like, it's a very kind of permeable yeah. narrator in, yeah. in, in, in a narrative voice in a sense I guess uh, later on I wrote an, an essay called The Poorest Text when sure. I, when that's I, yeah that's a great phrase yeah when I was writing um, my Paris to explain how taking away the active verb could render a speaking subject a way more porous you know, if you say, I walking down the street, it's not the same as I am walking down the street. Mm-hmm. There's a little reduction there um, of the I. Uh, I think it's time for us to make the I a lot smaller in the novel. Mm-hmm. I, I find so many novels really tiresome that way, because sure. they're, yeah. especially now, because we're talking so much about, our, about me, me, me all the time. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a place for that, too. But it does, like anything else, you know, at a certain point, there's so much of it that you kind of want it to be troubled. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not that people talk about, it's not about talking about either. For me, it's a problem. It's more how you you do it, you know? So just go back a bit to, like, when Heroin originally was published. Like, what was the reception like at that time uh, for the book? Was it kind of immediately... Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it surprised me because I thought that the politics of the narrator would be seen as kind of in, in, inimical in, in lots of places, you know. And it was, it was a book that was going from Quebec to English Canada at a time when there was a lot of tension. I mean, the whole story is organized around the 1980 uh, Quebec independence referendum. But the reception was very, very positive. I think I think it's some, I think people like to have have stories told directly, you know, like they are. Yeah. How, how did you see? Did you see that reception of it kind of changing over the years in any way? Like, because it, you know, how have you seen like its um, interest in the book change? 
Um, probably. I mean, once I write a book and start writing another one, I, tr- you know, I try not mm. to pay too much attention. But certainly, um, I, I think you know, in the nineties, I think that was the beginning of our neoliberal period, maybe. And I, I don't. I think the interest in the kind of politics that Heroin talks about probably weren't very interesting to very many people, you know. But uh, I don't know. It feels to me now like there's a lot of interest in in the issues that Heroin brings up again, you know. Well, that's the other thing I was wondering is, like, what do you think makes it, um, you know, uh, like, a, like a book that maybe still speaks in this time, you know, compared to... I, I mean, I think the out. I think the main thing is this is kind of an old saw, but um, the relationship between the personal and the political, and, and you know, I, the heroine in this novel, Gail, is very unhappy that she does not manage to live in a non-monogamous relationship with her partner. And today, people talk about polyamory, but it's kind of similar. You know, it's a little different, but it's kind of similar. There's a whole swing towards much more radical politics again, left, leftward. And feminism is definitely back. So those are all issues that are that are very, uh, you know, and I mean, I think we, all, we have this ongoing debate in Canada um, about how the different parts of the nation or the nations fit together. Hmm. And I think that's still rele- relevant, you know. I mean, it's, it's not like the referendum years, but people are still asking similar questions and worried about similar things. Have you, have, has your actual method of, of writing changed substantially at all uh, since... <laughs> Like, what do you do differently uh, or the same as you used to do? I mean, the only thing that, the main thing that's changed, I would say, would be the capacity to use digital technology to, mm-hmm. to do research and to, and, and, mostly, and to borrow language, which is, you know, we all do now. And it kind of, I would say that's the, mm-hmm. the major change. And, and also, I, up until the obituary, anyway, I've been going towards, Really breaking down the parts of the novel as much as I can. Now, now I'm going to work on some short stories, and we'll see what that gives. I think they might be not uh, maybe breaking down that kind of a prose book in a different way. So you know, I mean, for me, writing is always a game, always an experiment, and so of course, it sometimes leads to failure. What keeps you playing that game? Like, what's the most interesting part of it to you? You could be ruthless, you know. You just keep. Writing. I used to ask people, "Why don't you quit?" That was my big question. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I have no, I have no <laughs> desire to quit whatsoever. Reason. No, I have no desire to quit. <laughs> well, not, not that you should, but I used to. Just, I, I like no, to ask I know. that question. Like, I'm just curious. Like, why? Why don't people quit? Like, what keeps them going? I mean, like a lot of writers, I knew that's what I was here for from the time I was about, you know. By the time, since the time I could write, probably you're the same. Probably a lot of the writers I know are like that. I can't imagine life any other way. Mm. Well, thanks so much for talking to me. I appreciate it. And and uh, if you haven't already read Heroin, or you know, you should definitely uh, pick up this new edition with this great forward by Eileen Miles. Uh, and I am a big fan also of the Obituary, uh, which uh, came out in 2010, but is um, you know. Uh, 
really still in print and you know an excellent uh, uh, volume out of Coach House as well. Uh, thanks again. Thank Colin you very Gale. much. Thanks.